Judges chapter 6. The last time we were in Judges, we saw the song of Deborah and Barak uh, recounting God's miraculous deliveries of the children of Israel. Today we're going to see an unlikely uh, hero, Gideon. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Gideon. Uh, And I think that as we go through, we can all probably see something of ourself in this this man, this leader. Verse 1. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You see the cycle again, and we're going to see this phrase, you might as well cut and paste it in a lot of the chapters. Uh, they're delivered, they rejoice, they're good for a while, then they fall back into sin, and it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them again. But what can you say? There's a cause and effect relationship here. A little bit on their enemies. The Midians were the main players here, the Midianites. Uh, They were Israel's neighbor south of Amalek, down into the Arabian Peninsula, if you're familiar with uh, geography. The Amalekites, which come into play in verse 3, joined the the Midianites to fight Israel. And they were Israel's neighbor due south. They were the descendants of Esau. So those are your main players there. And then there's uh, another group of people that are mentioned, but not by name, just by location. Verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And what we see here is instead of Israel's enemies, because if you remember when Israel was strong and they were trusting the Lord and they were defeating the Canaanites, they all fled to the caves and the dens and the mountains, and they, you know, they were mountain people. But now you see a switch here. Now it's the, the Israelites who are running for fear and making you know, hiding places in these um, caves, etc. But what we see is the first tragedy as a result of sin is sin will cause us to be weakened and cower and hide. And that's just what happened to the children of Israel. Verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, and then I'm going to continue in the next verse, but just to not to give you too much of a chunk in one shot, okay, in these few verses, what we see is that uh, you have to understand that back in those days it was, I guess, an agricultural society, what they would call an agrarian society, and you lived off the land. Uh, what happens here is the, Midian, the Midianites and the Amalekites, it's kind of hard to say that, i got to slow down when I say that, they had no mercy. They would steal, destroy, whatever they did, they would ruin the crops of the children of Israel and leave them with nothing. And I'm going to, I'm going to guess that a lot of people died from starvation at this time. You know, it's hard for us to understand true poverty and true hunger in America. Um, if you look at China with the earthquakes and Burma and, uh, you know, even some states in the United States, you know, these, these great cataclysmic events, people are left with nothing. You know, supermarkets, forget it. There's no fuel, no gas stations. 
and, and you can go hungry if there's not somebody to come in and help you. So you have to see it had to be a very hard time. But the second thing that sin does, and remember, the children of Israel sinned against the Lord. Sin robs you blind and starves you. Remember, the children of Israel brought this on themselves. And when we sin, conversely, and there's a lot of good lessons here, when we sin, uh, a lot of times we're left bankrupt uh, spiritually, and we're left hungry, and we're left questioning, because that's what sin does to you. And verse 7, it says, The children of Israel again cry to the Lord. And this is human nature. When it gets really bad, then you cry to the Lord. I mean, I could see before I was a Christian, I really didn't have much concern for the Lord except when I was in a lot of trouble. And then when I got out of trouble, I went back to what I was doing. Obviously, as a Christian, you know, I'm in regular contact with him. But even Christians at times get to the point where they, when things are going good, they kind of leave the Lord, you know, he, they still think of the Lord, they still come to church, but in their hearts he's kind of off to the side because they got it good, everything's working well for them. It's oftentimes when, we're, uh, when things are bad is when we really cry out to the Lord, really a heartfelt cry. And the key here is it says, they cried out to the Lord, quote, because of the Midianites. That struck me. Not necessarily we've sinned, we've sinned against our great God who's provided us with so much They cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. So it took the Midianites for them to realize that something was amiss. Verse 8. The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, people can speculate, but I don't think we know who this prophet is. Um, There was many prophets that were sent, especially in Old Testament times. But he makes a few things clear to them. Number one, God didn't forget you. You forgot him and you disobeyed him. Number two, God delivered you before and he said he would do it again. You just need to trust him. Three, almost in a sense, why do you keep letting it get to this point? It doesn't have to be like this, you know? It doesn't have to be like this, right? You see, people are, it's a relationship issue. It doesn't have to be like this. But I could just see, you know, the Lord pleading through his prophet. You know, it doesn't have to be like this. You know, remember the sweet fellowship that we enjoyed? Why did it get to this point? And sometimes God lets us see the depth of our depravity before he delivers us out of it. Now, in our understanding we sometimes have to get to the depths of our depravity before we cry out to the Lord but on God's end a lot of times he allows us to get that far so that when he brings us through it um, it has more of an effect you know if God made our lives great all the time what lessons would we learn you know would we really be very concerned about rooting out sin in our lives right it's almost like the oh now I get it now I understand why this is happening Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Okay, so verse 12. Now what we see here is the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon to give him a commission. 
to deliver the children of Israel. But there's one small problem. Gideon's a fearful man. And certainly not what we would think of a great military leader. Now the Bible says that when he was accosted, he was threshing the wheat in the wine press. If you lived back then, you would know that you thresh wheat on more of a high place so that when you would put the pitchfork in and throw the wheat up, you know, the, the good part from the bad part would be separated out from the wind, okay? Well, because of the Midianites and, and these, the bad guys, Gideon was fearful. He wasn't going to do this out in the open where somebody could raid him. He was going down to the wine press to do it and try to, you know, do the best job he could because he was a fearful man, which probably most people back then were. But Gideon nonetheless is addressed, you mighty man of valor. See, God uses our potential. He sees our potential for, for what we could be, not necessarily for what we are at the time. And the question is, will we rise to the challenge of his commission? God has commissioned all of us. God has given all of us some type of gift that, that can be used to glorify him. But are we all using our gifts? You know, that's the question. Because we all have potential. And I've said this many a time. We all work together as the body of Christ. You remember the vest example that I did on Sunday. You know, the fibers by themselves are useless, but together they can stop a bullet. And that's, we're like those fibers. We're, you know, if we're interwoven and we're laid upon each other and we're working together, we can achieve great goals. But some of us, maybe God has called us to do things and we're just, eh, I'll eventually get to it. Yeah, I know, I know. You see what I'm saying? Verse 13. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now realize who he's talking to. That's pretty... Uh, I, I don't want to you know, insult the guy, but it's kind of disrespectful. I mean, he's almost saying, God, I know what your word says, but, uh, you know, it's not true. So you really got to, in your mind, don't just read it, kind of put yourself in that, that situation. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? <laughs> Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's arguing at this point, really. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. <laughs> you know, not me, yeah, you. No, no, not me, yeah, you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a ping pong match going on here. But it's kind of funny. He's asking, Gideon is asking, isn't God going to do something about this problem? And the answer is, yeah, he is. He already sent you. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes, he did. <laughs> I love it. Kind of reminds me of a, in a personal note when, when uh, our prior pastor stepped down and we had no pastor. And a few of us were filling in the pulpit um, to say, well, what are we going to do here? And we had uh, some, you know, I guess notable people from the Calvary movement come to New Jersey and try to help us out. And I was in the room. And one thing I know about Calvary is if, if, if you have a calling on your life and you say, well, I don't want it, then they, they don't give it to you. And that's good because you should want to fulfill that calling. They don't beg you. If you don't want to fulfill that calling, they don't give it to you. But I remember uh, being asked the question now, and, and the question was, well, what about you? And I said, no, I already have a job. I don't want it. Okay, I'm sitting here today. Okay, so how did it go from that? I don't want it. 
no way, you know, I think the word I used was no way, and here I am as the pastor. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. If the Lord wants you to do something, eventually he's going to get you to do it. <laughs> so, Gideon has a whole bunch of excuses. Um, there's a bunch of impediments to his commission. One of them is, well, I'm least in my family. And even my family, they're least in the clan and the tribe, you know. So we're, we're a bunch of rejects. You can't use us. Second thing he says is, basically, show me a sign. And then another sign. And then another sign, which we're going to see three times. But number one, if we're all honest, you know, we, we can get into the, the rut and people have of making fun of these Old Testament characters or even the New Testament characters. But if we're all honest, I'm sure we can all see ourselves in some way like Gideon. Let me use some adjectives. Fearful. Who, has, who here hasn't been fearful at one time or another? Procrastination. You know, who doesn't procrastinate? Now, I used to procrastinate, but if I procrastinate, then when Sunday comes, I'll have nothing to say in front of everybody, and I'll really be embarrassed. So Sunday night is usually when I start my next message. Uh, excuses. Who doesn't use excuses, right? And number two, but Gideon also had good qualities. There's a, you know, when, you, when you're reading the Hebrew to the English, you, you try to understand and you try to put yourself in that position, but... There's almost a sweetness to Gideon. You know, he, he, doesn't look at his, he doesn't look at himself as very much. You know, he, he's, he's humble. And that's a great starting point because God can't use the proud. If there's one thing I've seen in ministry is people who, who try so hard to be in, in a leadership position, a lot of times they, they, they're frustrated because they don't get there. And then oftentimes I see people who try to maybe say, well, you know, I can't do it. Um, look at me. You know, there's nothing special about me. And they really mean it. God usually brings those people up. And not all the time, but I've seen that a lot. Verse 17. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. It is you who talk with me. <laughs> Pinch me, you know, am I really seeing this? Confirm that this conversation is actually happening. 18. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. God's very long-suffering. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Then he put meat in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the turban tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. The fire arose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So Gideon is talking with the Lord, but that's not enough for him. He needs to test them. Now, if you're familiar with Gideon, what test comes to your mind? The fleece. Everybody, most of you, if not all, know that. But understand, it was, the fleece was done twice, but there was one test that was done before the fleece, and that's what we're reading about. Not very many people are familiar with that. What he does is he starts out with a sacrifice. Now, the consumption of the sacrifice, fire comes out and devours it. That's a sign that it was truly divine, and the divine, God himself, accepted that sacrifice. And it's almost like if Gideon is really asking, in addition to his other questions, is God satisfied with me? Does God accept me? Are you sure, God, that I'm the one you want to use? Because, you know, I've got a lot of faults here. And really that's a question that more people should be asking. 
And we should be asking that as a Christian. You know, Lord, you know, have I found myself worthy? You know, am I, am I found wanting? But we know that in the New Testament, Jesus answers, answers this in a similar fashion with his sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. He gave himself up for us so that we could be found taking on his uh, character. Okay, verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the... Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord Shalom. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the wooden image that is beside it, or the Asherah poles, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now understand that... Um, just, a, I guess, a hermeneutical uh, approach here or a, a good way of, of pulling things out of the Bible, Bible exposition. The angel of the Lord here is understood as a pre-incarnate version of Christ. Um, too many people think that Jesus was born in the manger and that was the first time he existed. But if you read Micah 5.2, it says that out of Bethlehem Ephrathah, the Messiah would come, but that his days are from everlasting. So... Obviously, Jesus, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit existed eternally. Jesus just came in the form of a man um, 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, you know, good Bible scholars follow this, the Hebrew words and all. Uh, Jesus was really a picture of many appearances that were made in the Old Testament. It's also believed that uh, Joshua, um, the angel of the Lord appearing to Joshua, uh, you know, when Joshua said, are you for us or against us? And he said, no, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come was also a pre-incarnate picture of Christ. And we talked about that when we went through the book of Joshua. Okay, so we see Gideon's first test. And he's faithful in this. He's faithful to do this simple task, although it wasn't exactly the way God told him to do it. Same thing with Abraham. Abraham, get up out of your family, go out by yourself to a land I'll show you. He brings Lot with him, and Lot just caused them problems. But, you know, Gideon does it. He pretty much does it to the way he should do it, but it's not perfect. He does call the place the Lord Shalom, meaning the Lord is peace. Now, even in times of war, we can have peace. In Psalm 23, one thing that always struck me about the Psalm of David was David said, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. And again, I'm a very visual person. Let's just pretend that I'm David, I'm, I'm at the table, and all you guys are the enemies. You know, this is a picture of David is at the table, you know, maybe reclining. It's a relaxed position. It's not a war position being at the table. And all his enemies are surrounding him. So this is a picture that even in the most tumultuous time, we could have peace with the Lord. And we know that Romans 5.1 says that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Verse 25 there's an alternate translation here that says he cut down the wooden images. Those are understood as the Asherah. Uh, and Asherah was a, a, a false goddess. 
the, the poles, the Asherah poles were pornographically carved and God was just disgusted by them. And he said, just cut those things down. Cut those, um, those idols down. In verse 26, he replaces one altar with another. An altar was a place to worship and sacrifice. The whole city, the whole, most of the whole nation was worshiping false gods. They were worshiping, you know, Baal, the false god. So God was disgusted with that. Take that altar down, put an altar to the Lord up. And we can see that in our lives too. You know, people can have different altars. And there's only two altars you can have. The altar to the Lord, where you worship and sacrifice to the Lord, and you come before the Lord at that altar, or the, the altar to false gods. Okay? Verse 27. This is where the instructions get a little muddied on, on Gideon's parts. He tears down the altar and he cuts down the poles. He's obedient, but he does it at night. Why? Because he has fear. He's afraid of his father. He's afraid of the townspeople. So he goes, okay, I'll obey. And he kind of does it under the cover of darkness, right? So there's a little mixed bag there. But what we see, too, is that uh, Gideon was a man of contradictions. Again, I see a sweetness in Gideon. Um, I, I like the character Gideon when I read about him. But he also, you know, he does a lot of good, but he also doesn't do things completely. And we see this with the fear of his father's household and the townspeople. This is um, fear of man versus fear of God. Too many times, even in Christianity, uh, Christians are concerned more with what other people think of them and making a good impression uh, by, for other people than they are about God. And that's, that's a concern. Our primary concern should be if I'm right with the Lord and I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do, it doesn't matter what other people think. Now, it doesn't mean we should be contentious. Uh, you know, the Bible says, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it's not possible, but we do the best we can. But our overriding concern of who should be impressed by us, it should be God. Okay, it should be God. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. And Joash said to all those who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Now catch this. This is uh, Gideon's father. Uh, really a little bit of a change of heart here, don't you think? Verse 32, therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down this altar. Imagine that. The townspeople see the, the, the graphic Asherah poles cut down. They see the altar to this false god cut down. Um, it's almost like somebody coming to you and saying, you're in sin, and I'm pointing this sin out, and it's got to be destroyed. And putting the altar of the Lord in his place. Almost somebody correcting you saying you're in sin and this is what the Bible says. Now what would your response be? Hopefully, whoa, that's a heavy, you know, maybe I should digest that. And that is what the Bible says. In this instance, instead of repentance, these guys were furious. 
Who cut down these altars? Who put the, the altar to the living God in the place of Baal? Who's that idiot who did that? I want to, I want to get him, you know? So it's amazing how hardened their hearts were. Instead of being repentant, they were furious. And this is the state of the world today. How dare you say that this is wrong? If you say something is clearly wrong and it's in Scripture, or, or it just makes sense, people get mad at you. You know, you, you self-righteous Christians, the world be rid of you. So this is a picture of the world. But you see, the father, okay, the one that Gideon was most afraid of was won over. That's a good sign there. Galatians 6, 9 tells us that it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's a great scripture. His hard work paid off. Okay. The father, his quote is, Don't lay a hand on my son. If Baal is really a god, let him save himself. Uh, Jen pointed to me, you know, you, you pointed out to me um, a, f- a few studies ago that the Philistines, when they took, you know, the Ark of God and they put it before in the temple of Dagon, you know, their false god, the, 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 the false god, the statue kept falling down and then his hands and his feet came off and they were like, maybe we should get rid of this Ark. <laughs> Instead of repenting, they're going to get rid of something good and keep wor- worshiping the stupid statue that keeps falling down and breaking its hands, Right. We talked about in Ephesus on Sunday, a few Sundays back, when Paul went in and the lady of, of Ephesus, you know, she was the lady of Ephesus, then she was Artemis, then she was Diana. Um, people were just worshiping these, these things that, that have no power, right? Uh, and it's a shame because the, real, the true God is waiting for everyone. Anyone can turn from their foolishness and from their worldliness and from their false gods and follow the true God. But Gideon gets a nickname, Jerubbabel. Okay, <laughs> which literally means Baal contends or Baal's antagonist. And I would ask you tonight, what would be our nicknames? What, if, if you were to pick a nickname for yourself, think about it. What would you choose? You don't have to say it out loud. And then would that nickname or your moniker, so to speak, match what other people think of you? Uh, probably not, <laughs> right? I know right now I would call myself sleepy because I'm a little tired, but... Um, you know, what will we think of ourselves? And do we think of ourselves as someone who contends for the Lord? You know, um, what, are you known as, uh, what are you known as at work? What do people know you as? Do they know you as a pretty strong walking Christian who's, you know, not really hypocritical? Um, what does your family know you as? And that's a tough one because in everyone's family, there's always somebody who's going to mock you. And, you know, they say, I knew you when you were a little kid. You know, I, I'm not buying it. But... You know, what are we known as to the world? And what are we known as among our brothers? Do we have a good reputation among the church? That's a good question. Verse 33, a few more verses left. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So you see the Midianites and the Amalekites, they're up to no good. They're kind of in the Valley of Jezreel. It's like a staging area waiting for their next attack. And then you see the rallying cry from Gideon. Um, And you see this man who, in a lot of ways, is is fearful and and not sure of himself. He becomes courageous. And we we know that it had to be by the God's Spirit. Uh, Zechariah, is it 4 6? Not by might, not by power, but, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So it's not about our strengths. It's about us being humble and then the Lord using us, and He works through us so that He gets the credit. 
and, and I'm cool with that. And I find what's interesting is that Gideon initially stated that his clan was the weakest in Manasseh. Now you see all the Bezerites get together, and they're going to be part of the major deliverance of the children of Israel. They're taking center stage. It's amazing how God can change people. And also you see the domino effect. It just took one person to say, you know, you see a lot of these revivals, and, and, and Christians are kind of leaderless sometimes, and you know, kind of splintered and, you know, my denomination, your denomination. But you see a lot of these revivals. They were these great men of God who rose up and said, you know what, we need to repent, we need to fast, we need to, you know, go back. We're in the wrong direction in this country. And a lot of people followed, okay, like these revivals. It caught on like wildfire. And you see that happening here. It's that domino effect. Verse 36, last five verses. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool. Now listen, he just did this great thing. <laughs> he's just doing, he's just on fire for the Lord. Now all of a sudden he's going back to the testing phase. Again, he's a man of contradictions. I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Plenty of dew there. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, and let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Now, let it be now dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. So in case... Um, by some fluke, he woke up in the morning like the grass has dew on it. Well, maybe I didn't ask it right. Let me, let me reverse it now and, and do the opposite. <laughs> and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. God is so patient with us, isn't he? I mean, he was patient with Gideon, but he's also patient with us. I love that. You know, do not be angry, Lord. I know I'm testing you. I know this is wrong. Um, but, you know, just can you just humor me a little bit with this, this test? So Gideon's test the Lord two more times before fulfilling his commission. Two points on this. Putting out the fleece. If you've been in ministry or if you've been around people in ministry, you hear terms. You've heard the term, you need to lift my arms. I covered that two Sundays ago, what it really means. It's the children of Israel in the battle with the Amalekites and, you know, the whole thing with Moses holding the rod and his arms getting tired and Aaron and her helping to lift his arms so that Joshua would win the battle. There's another term called putting out the fleece. It's another ministry term that we use in ministry. And, you know, you can get the impression, people hear of Gideon and they hear of fleece, that this is a good thing. This is what Gideon did. It's really a bad thing. This wasn't what he was supposed to do. Um, because Deuteronomy 6.16 says, don't test the Lord your God. Now, Jesus also reiterated Deuteronomy 6.16 when Satan was trying to tempt him. He said, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. But, Give you an example. I will do, if, if God does this for me, okay, if God has this water bottle just by itself come to me, I will know that my, I'm going to do this for the Lord. That's what putting out the fleece is. It's a conditional statement. If God does this, it's a sign, and then I'll do that. And that, that can be very dangerous because now you're living by signs and wonders. And we know what the Bible says about signs and wonders. So that's putting out the fleece, all right, for those of you who didn't know. The second thing is, this shows the frailty of us all because putting out the fleece is very common. You know, you see it happen a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to move out of this chair, Lord, until you, you know, that, that fan spins on its own. You see people doing that. 
But what I believe is, in my heart, I believe Gideon is a representation of two things. Number one, Gideon is a representation of human frailty. Again, we can look at Gideon and see somewhere along the line that, oh, I did that. You know what I'm saying? So Gideon's a representation of human nature and human frailty. But Gideon is also, again, contradictions, Gideon is also uh, uh, an example of the power of God working through us if we allow him. Okay, so you see both. Yes, we're human. Yes, we err. But if we allow ourselves and we humble ourselves, God can use any of us. Let's pray.